0: See, here's a way to think about all religions in a nutshell. We're kind of like trying to get to the peak of a mountain, right? And and everyone's down below in the valley, in the muck, in the sickness. And we're thinking to ourselves, we got to get up that mountain. How are we going to get up the mountain? And some people say, no, the best way to go, you got to go up the north face of the mountain. Others are saying, that's ridiculous. You got to go up the south face of the mountain. That is totally wrong. You got to go up west. And you got to do a little squiggle here, and then you have to jump to the side. You have to go up. You have to be moral. You have to be upright. You have to work hard. You have to push and pull and strive. What if it isn't so much that we have to go up to the peak of the mountain to get to God? What if there was a God who came down from that mountain and entered into the muck with you? Welcome to the weekly sermon at Gateway. My name is Jason McNabb. As we move through the season of Advent, we remember the Old Testament promises of Messiah, which were realized in the coming of Jesus Christ. And we look forward to his future return in glory. You can find more information about this teaching series and our church at gatewaycrc.org. Now, here's this week's message. So the reason why we're here this morning is to consider that Jesus came from heaven to earth for us. And so if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open it to the Gospel of John, John chapter 1. And while, for the sake of our guests, uh, we have, during this Advent series, looking, been looking at the major themes of Advent, hope, joy, love, and peace. And what we have discovered is that our ultimate joy, our ultimate hope, our ultimate peace and love is found, is fulfilled in the advent, the arrival of King Jesus. And he is our source of hope. But before we read our text, (laughs) I just got to give you a bit of a forewarning. This might go down as the least Christmassy Christmas sermon that you ever did hear, And so you just got to be prepared for that because here's here's what's happening. We're reading through the Gospel of John. Uh, Both Matthew and Luke, they want to give you the facts of Christmas. Right, This happened, the angels, uh, the shepherds, the manger, all those kinds of things. It's the what of Christmas. But John, he wants to give you the why. Here's why Jesus came and here's why it matters for you today. And I think one of the challenges of Christmas, if we're not careful, is the nostalgia of Christmas. Now, don't get me wrong. I think these things are amazing. But the time off work, the the lights, the Christmas meals, the turkey. I made a turkey yesterday. Can't wait to eat it later on today. Uh, The family coming together. All those things are beautiful. But if we're not careful, they become the cheap substitute, the stand-in that gets into our guts and then we miss what is ultimate. We miss what is beautiful, the inexhaustible, powerful, and life changing truth that Christmas seeks to provide. Let me just give you a, uh, an example of this by way of comparison. We don't have this challenge on Good Friday. When we gather together on Good Friday, we recognize the reason for the season. It is bloody, it is dark, it is dim, and we are recognizing that Jesus Christ took to the cross, scorning its shame, so that we can be set free. The reason for the season is is abundantly clear. And yet, at Christmas, sometimes we, we put baby Jesus behind stained glass and we're filled with nostalgia. And maybe, just maybe, we choose what is less in expense of what is better. And so as we look at this text today, we realize that though those are our natural instincts, we need to push against those things and to choose what is ultimate. What is ultimate. Why did Jesus come? Why does it matter for us today, December 25th? 2022 so if your bibles are open look with me at john chapter one in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god he was with god in the beginning through him all things were made without him nothing was made that has been made in him was life and that life was the light of all humankind the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Down to verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and, through, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Take note of this verse, this is important. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh. And dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. So what I want to do this morning with you. Is to behold the glory of Jesus. To experience the radical and life changing glory of the presence of Jesus. Of everything that Christmas intends to communicate to us. A little bit later in the service, we're going to sing that song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. What does it say? Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. That's why he came. That's the purpose of Christmas. And that's what we see in the story. And so I want to identify three things very quickly that we're going to walk through this morning. Three life-changing claims of Christmas. Here's the first one in your note sheet. The first claim is that Jesus is the Word of God. Jesus is the Word of God. So here's the question what, what does that mean? When John says that Jesus is the Word of God, he's making a, a radical and profound claim. It's a, a radical theological statement. He's saying that you cannot know God except through Jesus. Now, you can know about God. We find in scripture that one of the ways that God reveals his nature is through creation. And in the book of Romans, Paul says that no one is without excuse because we have a conscience and we can see the creation that God has made. And so that's general revelation. We also have the word of God so we can read scripture and we can see what God's love letter is to us. We understand more of his attributes, his will for our life, and that's his special revelation. But what John is saying is that you can know about God, but you cannot truly know God unless you know Jesus, unless you personally know him. That is how John starts and ends this opening chapter in chapter one. It's the claim of Christmas that Jesus is the Word of God. I shared with you three weeks ago, and I promised that I'd circle back to it at Christmas, that the claim of Christmas is that Jesus is the Word of God. And the question that we all have to ask is this Have I come to grips with the claims of Christmas? Have I come to grips with the claims of Christmas? I shared with you that the claim of Christmas, it's kind of like, um, I I recognize that there's, there's a certain exclusivity that's tied to this that we get uncomfortable with. So it's a little bit like if four doctors came up to you when you thought you had a terminal illness, you were not feeling well, and each of them said to you, it's fine, all you need is to get some rest, drink some fluids, it'll go by in a couple of days, you'll be fine. But then a fifth doctor comes up to you and says, no, it's terminal, and you need this treatment, otherwise you will die. Your immediate gut reaction is not going to be, how exclusive are you? You think you know so much more than the four other doctors. Who do you think you are? Your thought is going to be, either you're right or you're wrong, and it's up to me. My life depends upon figuring out which of those two it is. So the claim of Christmas is that you cannot truly know God until you see Jesus for who he truly is. And either he's true Or he is false. And we have to figure out which of those two it is. And so here's what this text is telling every person, whether you are a a devout atheist or a, a devout Christian or you follow another religion, he's saying the same thing. You cannot know the truth. You cannot know what is real. You cannot know what is ultimate. You cannot truly know God unless you see Jesus for who he is that he is the creator of the universe who came from heaven to earth, who put on flesh. That is the claim of Jesus. Um, Look at your Bible again, and you'll notice there the word, word. Do you see that there? A lot of times, um, John says that Jesus is the word of God. Do you know what that Greek word is? It's the word logos. Say logos. logos. That is where we get the English word for logic. What does it mean when God says that Jesus is the logic of God? Here's the point. What God is saying is, I, as the creator of the universe, have not given you an airtight argument for Christianity. What I have given you is an airtight person in the name of Jesus. And so, what you get to do is, you get to evaluate his claims, his actions, his speech. His conduct, you look at everything that Jesus has done and you say, is he who he says he is? Because I'll tell you something, there's not, there's not a single historian who believes that Jesus is a fictitious character. They all believe that he's a historical person. The only question is, is he who he says he is or is he not? Is he speaking the truth or is he full of lies? And I think what is really difficult for us, uh, for those of us who have been born and raised in church and who have been following Jesus for many, many years, is when we come to the claims of Jesus and we hear them over and over and over and over again, but we don't do what it says, then there's a disorienting of our faith. And then we begin to doubt the faithful promises of God. We ask ourselves, where's the joy? Where's the love? Where's The peace, I'm not sensing that. And in the spirit of this being the least Christmassy sermon of all time, I'm just going to keep going in that theme. Do you know the largest demographic of people who are leaving the church right now? It's not millennials. It's not Gen Xers. It's not Gen Zs. It's baby boomers. People in their 50s and 60s who presumably have have been watching uh, Jesus and who have been walking with God for decades But then they wake up one morning and they say, "I, I don't know if I believe in this anymore. I'm not so sure Jesus is who he says he is. Because it's getting back to this. You can know all there is to know about this book, but if you do not have a relationship with Jesus, if you do not truly know him, like you know a friend, like you know a spouse, like you know a close companion, Then you just know the details of God. You know that there's a creator, but I'm not so sure if Jesus is who he says he is. And that is the claim of Christmas. The question is do you know him intimately, personally, as a friend? So that's the first claim Jesus is the Word of God. Number two, Jesus the Word became flesh, he became flesh. The whole point of Christmas is that he is the word made flesh. Now, what does that mean to say that? It means Jesus became vulnerable. He became soft. He became killable. Killable. See, Christmas is so radical because it highlights the fact that of all other major world religions, Christianity is the only one that says that the creator came down. See, here's a way to think about all religions in a nutshell. We're kind of like trying to get to the peak of a mountain, right? And and everyone's down below in the valley, in the muck, in the sickness. And we're thinking to ourselves, we got to get up that mountain. How are we going to get up the mountain? And some people say, no, the best way to go, you got to go up the north face of the mountain. Others are saying, that's ridiculous. You got to go up the south face of the mountain. That is totally wrong. You got to go up west. And you got to do a little squiggle here, and then you have to jump to the side. And you have to go up. You have to be moral. You have to be upright. You have to work hard. You have to push and pull and strive. And then someone comes up to you and they say, what if it isn't so much that we have to go up to the peak of the mountain to get to God? What if there was a God who came down from that mountain and entered into the muck with you? And you might ask, that's interesting. What's all that about? And they would say, let me introduce you to Jesus. Jesus came down so that he could carry you up. It flips religion on its head. It is a radical message that often for those of us on the inside looking at Christianity, we fail to see. But those on the outside who are new to religion or who have been a part of another religion, when they see it for what it truly is, they say, do you not see how radical this is? That the creator of the universe would come down and bring me up? But that is the claim of Christmas. You know, some of you might know uh, the story of Kitty Genovese. This is going back to the 1960s. And there was a lot of study done, uh, done on this from anthropologists, sociologists, uh, from professors. A lot of professors uh, who are teaching students getting law degrees looks at this as a case study. And so Kitty Genovese was coming home one night. And uh, we have a picture of this, I believe, uh, up on the screen. Here is a picture of where she lived in Kew Gardens, which is just outside of Queens. And as you can see, it is a highly populated place. One of the most populated places in North America, just outside of Queens. Lots of apartment buildings on all sides. Lots of commerce, small businesses, large businesses, etc. She's coming home one night and she gets attacked. And she cries out, help, 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 help. And we know that what happened that night is that a lot of lights came on in the apartment buildings and a lot of people looked down. But I am sad to share with you, no one came down. No one came down. And she died. So then as they looked at it later, they started asking this question, why didn't anyone come down? They heard, they saw, they looked, why didn't anyone come down? Isn't it obvious? To come down is to risk your own life. To come down is to risk your own life. And see, the message of Christmas is that Jesus not only came down at the risk of his life, like the inhabitants of Kew Gardens should have done, he came down full knowing that it would be at the cost of his life at the expense of his life i told you it'd be the worst christmas day message ever but but here's my point christmas is telling us that when jesus the creator of the universe heard our cries of distress he came down he heard your cries And he wanted to be with you again. He longed to be with you. And he knew that the only way that he could be with you again is if he came down. And that's why he came. Because he heard your cries. He came to save you, to protect you, to guard you, to redeem you. And that's why the author of Hebrews says what they say in Hebrews chapter 4. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize or empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. So do you see what John and the author of Hebrews are saying to us? Let me ask you this question. Have you ever experienced hunger? Jesus has. Have you ever experienced loneliness? Jesus has. Have you ever experienced grief, or trauma, or loss, or betrayal, or rejection, or death? Jesus has. Everything that you and I have ever experienced, Jesus has faced that. But if you came to me after the service, you might say something to me like, but Justin, I I have gone to him. Right, I, I've done that. I've gone to Jesus and I haven't heard anything. I cried out to him. I poured out my heart to Jesus. Tears welled up in my eyes, but my prayers just hit the roof and came back down. And Jesus did not hear my cries. Nothing happened. He, he didn't change the circumstances of my life. Let me show, share with you that you are in good company Because there are many people here who have experienced exactly that this past year. But here's what I can say to you. Jesus knows. He knows what it feels like to have unanswered prayers. You say, how can can God know what it's like to experience unanswered prayers? God didn't hear God? What's that? Yes, God knows what it's like to experience unanswered prayers. When Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane, he cried out to God and he said, God, take this cup from me. If there's any other way, any other method, any other uh, philosophy, any other religion, any other moral paradigm, if there's any other way to get up that mountain, take this cup from me. And scripture says that he was sweating blood as he cried out to God. And God did not answer his prayer. God did not answer his prayer. And then later, as he went to the cross, he stretched out his hands. And it says that God the Father turned his face away. And Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there was no answer. And then he died. He gave up his spirit knowing at any time that he could call a legion of angels by his side, and all the suffering would just vanish. It would it would go away. And so I share all this with you for you to see that Jesus knows. He knows. And so we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but who has been tempted in every way, who has experienced all sorts of agony and anguish and pain and suffering that you and I have faced in our own lives. He knows. God knows what it's like to feel abandoned by God. And this is one more profound truth that we have to look at today. The most significant of the three is this. Jesus, the word, became flesh so that we could be with him. So that we could be with him. If your Bibles are open, look again at verse 14. It says this. The word became flesh, and then it says, and it dwelled among us. Do you see that word dwell there? The most literal translation that we could put here is the word tabernacled. Now, there's a word we don't use very often. It's a very strange Greek word. You have to think a little bit like a Jew for a moment. The Jews at that time were reading what is called the Septuagint. That is the Old Testament, which as many of you know, was written in Hebrew, which is now translated into Greek. And in the Septuagint, every single time there was a reference to the tabernacle in the book of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. The tabernacle was the place where the kabod, the glory of God, resided in the midst of the people of Israel. Every single time that word tabernacle showed up, it is exactly the same word that John uses here. So what is it to say that Jesus tabernacled among us? Well, consider what the tabernacle Was That is the place where the presence and the glory of God resided to be with his people. But as you might recall, the people of Israel were not allowed to go in. They could not go into that place, otherwise they would die. They couldn't go into the Holy of Holies. It was also the place in which the people of Israel would bring their sacrifices to appease the wrath of God. So what is it to say that Jesus is now the one who tabernacles among us and we have beheld his glory? What does that mean? He's reminding us that we get to have what Moses never could, what the people of Israel never could. If they went into the Holy of Holies, they would die. If they experienced the presence, the kibbutz, the glory of God, they would die. And now we get that. We get a relationship, a personal relationship with Jesus. But here's the question we have to ask. Why couldn't Moses and the people of Israel get that? Why couldn't they have the same thing that we have today? Well, to answer that question, I want you to consider for a moment. Have you ever experienced wrongdoing against you? And I'm not just talking about petty things. I'm talking about truly gratuitous evil that has been done against you. There is a wrong that has been made. And that means that if someone came up to you and and they said, sorry, it's just not going to cut it. You have to right the wrong. You have to fix what is broken. Uh, the example I like to give is, let's imagine if uh, your teenage son, he took your Ferrari out for a joyride and he crashed the whole thing. And then he comes up to you, Dad, and he says, oh, Dad, I- I'm sorry. Well, sorry, son. Sorry not going to cut it. Because at the end of the day, someone's got to buy, Ferra- buy a new Ferrari, right? They got to pay for the insurance. They got to pay for the court fees. They have to pay for the new vehicle. There's an expense. There's a gap that must be paid. And someone has to pay for that gap, either the son or the father. Which of the two is going to pay? And the gaps that we experience among humans against one another in no way, shape, or form compares to the gap that is between us and God. And so what Jesus is doing and what John is saying in the opening chapter of John chapter 1, the message of Christmas is that the reason why Jesus came from heaven to earth is so that he could become vulnerable. Why? So that he could become killable. Why? So that he could pay the price. So that he could close the gap. So that we could experience the presence of God again. That's the meaning of Christmas. That is the reason why he came. He came in the most accessible, vulnerable state that you can imagine. As a baby, what's more accessible than a baby? And Jesus came not just at the risk of his life. He came at the cost of it. At the expense of it. And so I want to leave you this morning with, with one implication of this as you and as you look at that question, have I come to grips with the claim of Christianity? Consider this implication. You can go to him with anything, and he will hear you. But the question you have to ask is, have you gone to him? Will you go to him and see him for who he truly is? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He came and put on flesh, and He tabernacled among us, and we have beheld His glory. You've been listening to our latest message as we've been making our way through the season of Advent, focused on the coming of Jesus Christ. As always, you can find resources and information about this teaching series and more information about our church's ministry at gatewaycrc.org. I'm Jason McNabb. Please join us next time on the weekly sermon at Gateway.